Remember, every woman alive wants Chanel number five. This is Monitor 63. I'm Barry Nelson. On Wednesday of this past week, as he ended a press conference which was broadcast on NBC News, Frank Sinatra added these words. Tomorrow's my birthday, and it's probably the best birthday present I ever had. The reason for his happiness on this particular birthday, the safe return of his kidnapped son, Frank Jr. And so, on Thursday, December 12th, Frank Sinatra celebrated his 46th birthday in the company of his family and close friends. Today, the alleged kidnappers were arrested by the FBI. With this resolution to what might have been a tragic situation, Monitor is pleased to present, as previously planned, a special birthday salute to one of the greatest entertainers of our time, Frank Sinatra. In the hour ahead, we'll hear him talk candidly about many aspects of his career. We'll hear from Frank Sinatra Jr. and how he feels about his famous father. We'll hear some of Frank's friends and associates. And we'll hear, of course, some of the great singing performances which earned him his place at the top of his profession. Here's just a small sample. Night and day You are the one Only you Neath the moon Or under the sun Whether near to me Or far It's no matter It generated excitement But there was tenderness too I don't see her Each day I miss her Gee, what a thrill Each time I kiss her Believe me, I've got a case Smoothly sophisticated songs were just as easy for him fingers in my hair That sly come hither stare Strips my conscience bare It's witchcraft And I've got no defense for it That heat is too intense for it And he could project all the charm inherent in this great Gershwin song Foggy day in London town Had me low And it had me down I view the morning With much alarm the British it came to music with a message There was no one more convincing tales can come true It can happen to you If you're young at heart for it's hard, you will find, to be narrow of mind, if you're young... To begin at the beginning, the young Sinatra, christened Francis Albert, was born in Hoboken, New Jersey, first became interested in music when an uncle gave him a ukulele. In high school, he joined the band, helped organize the glee club, but the initial milestone in his career wasn't reached until 1937. Then, as part of a singing group which called themselves the Hoboken Four... He appeared on the Major Bowes Amateur Hour. Despite the lo-fi quality of the recording of that era, we can hear the brashness and assurance that later became part of the Sinatra style. Listen as he identifies himself to the Major. I'm Frank Major. Uh, we're looking for jobs. How about it? Uh, everyone that's ever heard us liked us. We think we're pretty good. All right, let's have it. Hoboken Bowes. <laughs> 
shine and spray your booze in. Why don't you shine? Start with your shoes in. Shine each place up. Make it look like new. Boom, 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 boom. Shine your face. They won the contest, and Frank had to make a choice between a career as a singer or a career in some other field. His father, a prize fighter who became a fire captain, was reported to have said that singers are sissies. When asked to verify this quote, Frank had this to say. I'd like to clarify that. He was a little stronger than that. He said, uh, uh, not only singers, he said, all show business is for bums. He said, uh, well, it was, it was uh, conspicuous in those days that uh, if you didn't have a, a, a what they called a good, decent job, such as uh, working in a box factory or shipyards, uh, you were a bum. So he said, um, you want to get a decent job or you want to be a bum? So I said, well, I prefer the latter. So uh, I left home, and a uh, few things happened to me since then. Although Frank chose a career as a singer, he had had other ambitions at one time. What changed his mind? Well, there were several, several things. I always had designs to go to uh, uh, Stevens Institute of Technology, which was also in my own hometown in Hoboken. It was a fine engineering school, and I thought about that seriously for a long time. And then I worked on a newspaper for two years, and I thought about that. But uh, the, the uh, entertainment world overcame all of that. And strangely enough, one of the biggest contributors to changing my mind was, uh, was Bing, whom I saw at the uh, Lowe's General Square Theater in Jersey City. And he performed on the stage with a guitarist uh, who's since passed away some years ago named Eddie Lang. And I watched him, and he had such great ease... And, uh, and uh, I thought, uh, well, if he can do it that easily, I don't know why I can't. So that was one of the big turning points in my life. Following this turning point, it has generally been thought that the first big professional break in Frank Sinatra's career was his job with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. But he thought otherwise. I would say that the, uh, that the, the break actually was with the Harry James Band, because if I hadn't gone with Harry James, it, uh, I don't know whether or not I would have been heard eventually... The, the fact that I made some records with Harry James uh, that Tommy heard, either on the air or somebody played them for them, then he eventually made a pitch to, for me to quit the James Band and go with the Dorsey Band. Of course, I was delighted because in those days, the Tommy Dorsey Band was considered the show, show case for all singers. And uh, so that you might honestly say that the, my professional, the big professional break came with Harry James. Then, of course, as I say, I was showcased so well by Tommy that... Um, uh, whatever song I did with the band, he, he dressed it so well arrangement-wise that uh, they all became hits, and I began to grow more rapidly than I would have, I think, with uh, any other of the orchestras. And of all the arrangements, this one will probably be remembered longest. Sinatra, 
at the beginning of a great career. We'll continue our special birthday salute to him on Monitor in just a moment. Monitor, yours coast to coast on NBC Radio. In central New York State, we're heard on WSYR Syracuse. There and elsewhere, you're on the Monitor Beacon. Remember, every woman alive wants Chanel, number five. Barry Nelson again, and here's part two of Monitor's birthday salute to Frank Sinatra. The early 40s, and Frank soon became as much of an attraction for the excited audiences as the orchestra with which he sang, the great Tommy Dorsey band. Among those who came to listen and stayed to praise him was the man who had inspired him to embark on a singing career, Bing Crosby. Oh, I knew Frank uh, when he was with the Dorsey Band. Uh, I was a great friend of Tommy's and Jimmy Dorsey's, too, and I hung around the band a great deal because it was a swinging band, and I loved it, and Frank was the vocalist. Thin, tousled head as a kid with a expansive black bow tie. I was the croon period, the ballet and I and Columbo and guys like that. He was the swoon period. <laughs> well, that he was the forerunner of that. He uh, started that uh, hysterical era. And every time he'd utter a note, they'd uh, shriek and fall in the aisles and carry on. Uh, I think it was sort of an exhibitionism. They were, each one wanted to show they could swoon deeper and make more noise than the other. He had uh, great talent and a great voice and great feel for a song and, and a wonderful ability to create a mood when he sang. That's, uh, I guess, the hallmark of a good entertainer, particularly a singer. As Bing Crosby said, Frank Sinatra could create moods, but equally great was his ability to make an audience believe the words he was singing. If there were meaning and poetry in the lyrics of the song, they received the attention they merited. The listener couldn't fail to be moved by a performance like this one. She may be weary Women do get weary Wearing the same shabby dress And when she's weary, try a little tenderness. She may be waiting, just anticipating things she may never possess. While she's without them, try a little tenderness. 
little wonder that throughout the nation, feminine listeners began to engage in the then-new form of audience approval known as swooning. They formed Frank Swoonatra fan clubs, and one organization called itself the Sighing Society of Swooning Sinatra Slaves. And despite speculation to the contrary, they were not merely a press agent creation. Frank remembered them well. Well, the so-called swooning and squealing actually took place while I was still with Tommy Dorsey. It happened in the uh, in the uh, uh, New York areas mostly, uh, pinpointing one, for instance, the Paramount Theater, or theaters in Newark and uh, Washington D.C. and Philadelphia. Uh, and then, obviously, when I left the band and um, and tried it on my own, well, they uh, then they really began to take the place apart. But then I worked on it for a while and listened to it and watched the reaction of the kids. They were really marvelous, I must say. Um, they got a lot of bum raps because uh, people wrote about the fact that they tore clothes and they did that. They really didn't do that. They just wanted to get near you and wanted to say hello and shake your hand and look for a, a handkerchief as a souvenir or a bow tie, which was easily done because I had 86,000 bow ties, I think, to use a joke. And uh, that was it. They had, a, they had a marvelous affection for me, and, uh, and I, in turn, had a great affection for them. I loved their enthusiasm for me and their, their sweetness, and it's something I'll never forget as long as I live. When asked to comment on the theory that the swooning was a sociological or psychological manifestation of that particular era, the early war years, Frank parried the question in characteristic fashion. It might have been, but, uh, you know, if you go back and you think about some of the writings in the magazines and newspapers, many psychiatrists were trying to analyze the kids and find out what about my voice uh, made them squeal and and uh, the so-called fainters, and I think they fainted from lack of food because they'd never leave the theater. They'd sit there for six shows a day. It wasn't from singing, it was from lack of food. Well, whatever the exact reason, Sinatra's fans continued to demonstrate their affection through the war years and beyond. He piled success upon success, turning out a string of widely acclaimed movie musicals which brought him stardom. Anchors away, till the clouds rolled by, and on the town, just a few... And he continued to score with one hit song after another. This among them. Time after time I tell myself that I'm So lucky to be loving you 
So lucky to be the one you run to see in the evening when the day is through. I only know what I know. The passing years will show. You've kept my love so young, so new. And time after time, you'll hear me say that I'm so lucky to be loving. Through much of his career, Frank Sinatra has been the center of considerable controversy. He's had his detractors, but he's had many staunch friends. And one of them, NBC's Skitch Henderson, reveals why as he relates an incident which took place when Frank was rising to the first peak of his career. The day I got out of the Air Force, I went back to California, confused. I had no place else to go. Before that day was out, the phone rang, and it was uh, the Italian, as we called him. He had heard from one of the song pluggers that I was out of the Air Force and was looking a little seedy on Hollywood Boulevard. Before the day was out, I had a call from him saying, I'm opening at the Waldorf Astoria tomorrow night. Get your body on an airplane if you can. And you got a job. And it's incredible, but within 48 hours after I get out of the Air Force, because of the warmth of this human being, I was at work making, I think he paid me some incredible sum, like $350 a week. He forced the management of the Waldorf, literally, to give me a beautiful room. We only did one show at midnight, and Frank, every night that he went to the theater, he saw to that I had a seat to go along, just to reorientate me into civilian life. This is a debt that you can never repay. It's a debt that you can never say thank you for, and I've never been able to. I've tried a million times with the guy. It wasn't many years after this that Frank Sinatra found himself in the unhappy position of being considered finished as a performer. His record sales slumped severely. His movie studio dropped him. And his private life encountered difficulties, too. He was asked if he could account for what some people termed the nosedive of his career. Well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a... You cannot say that it was a career that took a nosedive because that was always there. It was I who took the nosedive. I just stopped paying attention to what I was doing. And I didn't, uh, I didn't stay on the ball for about a year, year and a half. And I just uh, didn't keep up with the rest of the world, and I've, consequently I fell behind. But it was a great lesson to me, as it is, I think, to all people in, in all walks of life. I found that, uh, that there were friends uh, still, um, still uh, rooting for me, but they, they thought that I wanted to be left alone, so they, they uh, respected my, my uh, position in those days. And then one day I woke up and said, well, it's time to go back to work. And that's really what happened. It's just as simple as that. And what followed bore out his contention. As a matter of fact, Mitch Miller, who produced the records that Frank made during the so-called slump, told us that only a few years later, those same records were tremendous hits. 
He made some beautiful records. In fact, some of his best records were made then. American Beauty Rose, uh, Paris Blues, Why Try to Change Me Now, Birth of the Blues, uh, uh, Hello Young Lovers. And uh, what happened was that Frank's image, because he, his, you know, his movies, he was out of movies, he was out of television, and uh, 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 the people sort of got off of him in the sense that they, they thought... Uh, he wasn't a good boy. Well, that has nothing to do with singing, as was later proved, because these same records that we couldn't give away at that time, within three to four years afterwards, brought Frank over a million dollars worth of royalties. And that's an awful lot of money. And as you listen to the power and authority in this particular one we're about to play, you can understand why. They heard the In the trees Singing weird Melodies And they made that The start of the blues And from a jail Came the wave of a down-hearted frail And they played that As a part of the blues From a whippoorwill Way up on a hill They took a new note Pushed it through a horn Until it was worn Into a blue note And then they nursed it They rehearsed it And then sent out that news that the Southland gave birth to the blues. They nursed it, then they rehearsed it, and they sent out that news. Birth of the Blues, and the beginning of a second rise to fame in the career of Frank Sinatra. Well, we'll pause briefly now, and then Monitor 63 will return with the second half hour of its birthday salute to Frank Sinatra. Still to be heard from, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra Jr. Also, some amusing highlights from radio shows in which Frank participated. And, of course, more of the songs he made famous. Barry Nelson here, inviting you to stay tuned. Here's Jonathan Winters for Chrysler. Granny Frickard, how do you feel about being selected Truck Driver of the Year? Crazy. I've been a clean truck driver for over 50 years. Look, when I hold out my left arm, see the tattoo? It says, I'll help you pass. As an experienced driver, what advice do you have for car owners listening in? Always take your car to Chrysler Corporation Certified Car Care Service. It's a health plan for cars. All Chrysler, Plymouth, and Dodge dealers have it. 
Say, doll, how do you think I look in skin-tight leotards? Weekends are different. So is Monitor on the NBC radio network. Ooh. Mm-hmm.